I, I remember um, years, years ago in that um, wonderful drug-free zone called Goa that, uh, of uh, giving a retreat there and uh, like many of the teachers had uh, um, prepared as best I could the uh, details for the evening talk so I used to come in armed with uh, uh, sheets of uh, notes I'd written out about the, the theme for the talk and then I thought, well, if I'm going to run short, I'll, I'll bring in a few books with bits of paper stuck in on various pages and read from them. And but between the notes, waffle, and uh, the books, I pad it out for 45 minutes. And uh, uh, one evening, in a rather a bit of a rush, I know meditation teachers are not supposed to be in a rush, but um, it was a, a mindful rush. <laughs> Uh, to the meditation hall, sat down, closed, closed my eyes, and went, oh my God, forgot the notes, the books. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's going to be 45 minutes of pure waffle. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been, frankly, waffling ever since. <laughs> All right, freedom of the heart. Heart must have freedom to waffle as well, I would say. So sometimes we come into a retreat and in um, participating uh, in a retreat that in fact the, the length of time of a number of you uh, here uh, actually is varying quite a lot of course the majority of people here are here for the week-long uh, retreat with the uh, freedom of the heart as the theme uh, and others of you have been here for some time already some it's a matter of days some it's a matter of weeks or months and others of you are staying on uh, afterwards for, again, days, weeks, uh, months, and some of you, of course, leaving uh, right, right after. And I think it's important for us just to remember, just at the, the mental, cognitive uh, level, that our perception and our view of uh, time really does vary a lot according, according where we are in a particular place and environment so that when you and I look at our life just at the mental level before we go to the heart level we see that much of the considerations that we have with our daily life and our relationship to it one is areas of time past, present and future uh, the other is the particular place and uh, locality and the kind of perceptions about how much time we have used, how much time we have been here, or how much time uh, uh, we have left. And so with place, or location, with uh, time, there's an extraordinary opportunity, and sometimes a difficult one, in which states of mind arise in relationship, difficult ones, in relationship to the field of time, in relationship to locations, past, present, or future, known or uh, uh, un unknown. And so, it, in a way, that the field of time and the field of place is related again and again to the kind of state of mind which we have. And it's important to acknowledge this interface of the apparent objective thing called time with the internal, we might call subjective, aspect of the state of mind that keeps going with it. And sometimes it would appear that we don't realize 
and we don't see clearly and often enough just how much in the movement of mind that goes on that the same state of mind keeps going to the same location or the same person or the same um, field of time i.e. past, present or future and therefore there's a kind of conditioning which goes on uh, with us which keeps repeating itself again and again over the same things and sometimes if we have enough awareness uh, uh, with ourselves there's a chance and opportunity for us to say well am I actually repeating the history is the same attitude and the same uh, intention or the same state of mind keep fastening itself and getting caught up and absorbed in the same thing and if that is unsatisfactory for oneself, for other, for others or whatever if that view is unsatisfactory then the unsatisfactoriness of it is a kind of call to us and a reminder to us that that's something that we have to look at with much greater care but so easily the feeling and the sense of self gets so used to relating in that particular way that we begin to view that situation through that state of mind it might be about a country it might be about uh, living in a city it might be around uh, relationship uh, to money it might be uh, uh, around a particular person who is important uh, in, in your life so if something that keeps arising is clearly unsatisfactory we keep reviewing it repetitively in the same way that will say as much about what's going on inside of us as it says about what we're focusing on and we keep thinking and Martin was pointing out this again last night we keep thinking that what we're attending to that it's actually about that and that we're somehow independent, objective observers of it rather than seeing the mind and the, actu- the, the object actually have a very close relationship uh, Krishnamurti, those of you who remember uh, Krishnamurti frequently used to say uh, the observer is the observed the, meaning that the intimacy, the interconnection is so close that all that makes up the observer this is like this, this is like that all the views, the opinions, the feelings, the states of mind that make up the uh, observer land on the observed and the observer is the observed and it isn't easy to relax through all of that it isn't an easy thing to be steady and calm and just enough clarity to see this mixture that goes on of state of mind with the past, state of mind with the present, state of mind uh, with the future, when it's showing itself in this unsatisfactory and sometimes extremely painful way. When the thought and the inner life is so preoccupied with the Uh, details of our personal life when we're so preoccupied with that 
It means that the feeling of self, the sense of I, the me and the my, it keeps arising and our world, in a way, becomes our state of mind. I, me and my arises around this, that and the other. It keeps reproducing itself and sometimes it seems like, and it is, that we're completely absorbed in what's going on in our mind as the primary thing of importance. We keep believing, thinking, living, acting, to repeat, that what's going on in our mind is the, and is given the most primary importance. And so sometimes we are trying, this is, we'll come to freedom of the heart in, uh, in a moment, sometimes we are trying to integrate all the different features of our inner life. We're involved in our mind, we see on the one aspect of ourselves, say the greed, and the other aspect of ourselves, the generosity. One aspect of ourselves, the kindness. The other aspect of ourselves, the uh, uh, anger, hidden or otherwise. Uh, sometimes uh, the fear, or the courage, the determination, or the anxiety, the holding back, or the moving forward, or whatever. So the inner life, inner of uh, the mental life, seems to become our world. We get so much absorbed with it, and the effect of all, all, all of that is that what we know is what's going on in our mind and what's coming to our mind. What's important in life is outside the mind. Teachings have said this, reminded of this, communicated this, used all the language of original nature, use the language of pure nature, use the language of liberation, use the language of nirvana, use the language of finding God, uh, use the uh, language of immeasurable consciousness, truth, reality, etc., etc. Different kind of concepts and the kind of struggle to communicate something which is not finite. and therefore not of the mind. So we participate in the day, we, we go through the day, and we might say to ourselves, and I've, I've got a couple of uh, quotes for a moment, um, we, we might say to ourselves, what's some of my primary interests during today? And we put a lot of care and effort into the meditation to say, I want to be as clear as possible. I want to make my poor, pathetic mind as steady and as clear as possible so it doesn't go on a, a roller coaster of events. And teachings keep emphasizing that, so with the emphasis on the breath, the emphasis on body, on uh, listening, on presence, is all to get the mind as clear as possible. Some of you, whether you've been here for a long time, whether you've been here for two or three days, may have 
come to and, and found some clarity. For others of you, it will be an incredibly theoretical and abstract word, and one has no idea and no relationship to it and no experience of, and it's completely out to lunch to mention it. So sometimes we say, well, I can't find any clarity within. All I can see is these upheavals that are going on and the only time I get a bit of rest, if I'm lucky, is when I fall asleep in the meditation hall. And then when I wake up again, it's all back again. And it can seem like an endless activity to try to organise our mind to make life clear and comfortable and flow easily and fluidly and non-problematically. And we may have to ask ourselves, am I struggling against the tide of existence? Am I trying to get my mind to sit in sweetly, easily, nicely with everything else that goes on in this existence? Have I set myself a task that is so big it's absurdly big? Because to get our mind to sit in with the image and the idea that we want, it would have to fit in with other people's states of mind because they keep affecting us. They don't keep saying the right things. We also want it to fit in with things that go wrong and handle that well, things that are successful and unsuccessful and gain and loss and profit and, and comings and goings. We want to be able to handle everything very, very well so that we can feel really comfortable with everything. I mean, this makes um, the ambitions of the corporate world small change compared to this ambition that the mind has to make it absolutely okay in all circumstances. And sometimes, when things are difficult and there's a, a difficult period, that voice of reaction that comes, which says to ourselves, well, it shouldn't be like this, and it should be better than this, and I should be able to handle this better, etc., uh, etc., et may not do anything but add wood. Sometimes, on, uh, on retreat, and not, 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 not too uh, often, but occasionally, people have a difficult uh, history, personal history, uh, inner life history. And in meeting and talking uh, with people, as uh, one does in this field very, very regularly, and hearing and witnessing social world puts under the world of general craziness. But sometimes, in an odd sort of uh, way, the craziness that goes on in the world may just be a kind of mirror 
of the craziness that is in the world. And that some people, mentally and emotionally, kind of express it. Ex- ex- express it. No, no, from, uh, uh, from retreats, the numerous situations that has uh, arisen, uh, the one, the one of the many comes to mind, took place, retreated about three o'clock in the morning. And someone with uh, uh, a man came to my room and was convinced that he was a bull. <laughs> a bull. I never thought of this before. I'm, I'm a Taurus. Mm. Anyway, it's just a coincidence. And, and came into uh, the room and not only did he think that he was a bull, <laughs> but you can imagine what he thought I was. Some poor Spanish matador. <laughs> with only a shawl <laughs> and honestly it came with a head charge and I ended up having just got out of my sleeping bag in time struggling with this person remembering my judo training from the age of 14 <laughs> to grapple and grip this person to the ground and hold this person down and try to wrap them up in my sleeping bag. (laughs) So there's a huge noise going on and people getting up and saying, are you alright Christopher? (laughs) Uh, Just hope I'm not reborn as a matador. And, And the charging went on to the extent that he was trying accused me and started yelling that I was keeping him deliberately in my room and then his head was trying to ram the door uh, down. A couple of days later he was okay. <laughs> so sometimes these intense... Uh, <laughs> if this happens to you tonight, please go to Martin's room. <laughs> I can sleep through anything. <laughs> So sometimes in this uh, world that we uh, live in, there's mind going, all the things that go on in the mind from uh, intensity of experiences, refined and subtle ones, etc., etc. But it's the world of the mind, and of course in that, even with the humour, not to underestimate the suffering and the difficulty, when there's incredible pressure and the person doesn't know how to get rid of it or what to do about it, and it manifests in very difficult forms, and our heart goes out to such people and, and the tremendous I remember the situation love and kindness that went out to this uh, person gradually as the energy went down and cooling out and, and coming back into some sense of normality but in some as I say some situations there's an intensity and a pressure that can go on uh, in the mind and we haven't realised in the course of time just how these things have built up inside uh, are there and sometimes we need as some of you have expressed yeah, some uh, outlet, some movement of the energy, some, we had a bit inquiry, some dance, some activity there, just to let things flow and to have that uh, important freedom and a very freedom of the heart here to allow those kind of things to flow more easily and, 
and, and, and freely. So that we're not just trying to control our existence. We're not constantly trying to keep on top of things. Because that be- does become a pressure cooker uh, situation for us. And sometimes we need to look and take notice of is the thought that's arising actually quite insightful? Like the one of uh, things are getting on top of me. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just too busy. Uh, there's so much going on in my life. There's such pressure. The thought itself, which may be quite insightful of itself, providing that you and I hear it, we listen to it, we're serious about it, we take notice of it. So quite often the thought is a genuine and authentic reflection of what our life is at that particular time. But it's going to need something else, something other, so that the thought, as it were, lands in a helpful way in our consciousness and that says to us, yes, I do need to respond. I do need to act. I do need to let go of. I do need to change. I do need to cultivate and develop. And therefore, that line of thought which arose in the mind has then become an insight. And it's hard, it's not easy for us, it's hard to know what's just a thought but has no authority to it, no power, no inspiration, no transformative quality to it. And what thought which arises which we say, yes, that is worth attending to. Yes, that does have to be follow-up. And I suspect that with us, that we do get um, enough signals, inwardly, outwardly, uh, etc. We do get enough uh, reminders. And as the Buddha pointed out, he said, wisdom comes from awareness, suffering comes from ignorance. And the ignorance, in its you know, deeper meaning here, is the tendency to ignore. And this tendency to ignore can have all sorts of painful consequences for us. So wisdom comes out of awareness and the thought registers with that and brings the action and the tendency to ignore will sooner or later generate suffering. One, the wisdom makes significant difference to our life, of course, and uh, the other has all the painful consequences uh, of it. Sometimes when we stop, and again it's the freedom of the heart to look into the things of the mind, sometimes when we stop, we, we may not know whether or not we are ignoring things which we need to attend to. And therefore, if there is some calmness. If there is some genuine relaxation in our meditations, of our sitting and walking, it can be really worthwhile to introduce to, into ourselves, is there anything which I'm ignoring in life? And the analogy which is given to this in the old uh, uh, Buddhist text, it's like if the pond is clear, relatively clear, we can see the, the stones and the fish and the plants, uh, etc., in the, in the pond. And it's rather the same way with uh, the process of meditation. Feeling fairly comfortable and steady, sometimes there can be a simple trust just to stay with that as an organic process of natural deepening, or we stop, this, uh, 
feeling calm and steady, we uh, look uh, within and, and we ask ourselves, is there anything I'm neglecting? Is there anything which I need to develop, need to attend to? Is there anything which I need to say yes to, or need to say uh, no to, whatever? And it may not be, of course, that in the immediate inquiry inwardly of asking the question that you suddenly get a response and it comes altogether clear. So sometimes there is, as with many other things in life, there's the question, and then there's the patience, and the simplicity, and the pause, and the, and the steadiness, and sometimes something quite spontaneously and naturally begins to come clear to us. Where is that coming from? So all of that, of course, is the skillful uh, and, um, and feature of the practice of working with the mind. Sometimes I've got a couple of uh, interesting... Uh, when I felt was interesting anyway, uh, things which were sent uh, 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 to me. It's a little bit about um, current uh, trends. Um, and sometimes, in that, with freedom um, of, of the heart there, sometimes there's a kind of shift that can go on with us, and it's an important one, and perhaps one of the most important ones in life, and that is, at times, and this may arise with the days and the meditations, one doesn't need to attend to anything of the life of the self. Self in the Dharma language means issues around my past, my present, and my future. What I was, what I am, or what I am like now, and what I will be, or might be, or could be uh, in the future. There are times in the meditative awarenesses where the self, which is involved in so-called one's past, so-called one's present, so-called one's future, and involved in states of mind, in your knowledge and information, your life's experiences, all that we call the self. And sometimes, in the flow of things, one just isn't interested and not involved in the area of the self and also there isn't any kind of painful or lingering uncomfortable feeling within and sometimes people so I'm not, not thinking about anything but deep down I feel a bit down feel a bit bleak feel a bit lost or feel a bit uh, unhappy I can't make out what it's about so sometimes one can have those kind of feelings, as it were, in areas of the heart, the consciousness is going to that, but nothing particular is coming to mind about past, present or future, or the self, to say, why do I, which shows why I feel like that. Understand? Sometimes we know why we feel like we feel, because it's something that happened in the past, something happened in the present, something happened in the future, or might happen in the future. And that's created this unease and difficulty within, in the, in, in the world of the heart of feelings. Sometimes the self, it doesn't know. What one does know that one feels low, or de- or down, or depressed, or unhappy, or bleak, or you know, grim, or dissatisfied, and one can't connect it with some event. 
sometimes one imagines and thinks, oh, if it, if it really was connected with something obvious, that would make it easier. <laughs> it's a sweet thought, but uh, don't believe it. So sometimes there, that particular feeling, it isn't easy, and easily we, that is the self, can begin to contract around it. This is how I am. And the generalizations come in, I'm always feeling like this, or I've known this for so many years in my life, oh, it's never going to go away, I always get stuck with this, why am I always feeling like this, why is this always coming up inside of me, etc. All of that thought, and that kind of formation of, of thought coming out of the mind, actually contracts around it. It's the, 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 the view of the self is unknown to itself, as it were, keeps feeding it. And the keeping feeding it, of course, just strengthens it. Can we, not easy, when there's that kind of um, dissatisfied feeling going on, it might be strong and fairly deep, can we find a little bit of space around it? That somehow the self doesn't feel contracted into it. It may be, even in situations where it's really visibly present and we could feel ourselves getting very heavy about it, that sometimes it's very, very necessary to remember to breathe mindfully. It's very, very necessary to keep the eyes open and let the maximum amount of light in. Very necessary to keep contacting the sense of space around as a contribution to finding a little bit of space within. It doesn't mean to say that that uh, build-up uh, in the heart of these unpleasant feelings that are swimming around uh, in there will just quickly fade away. But the awareness will be able, hopefully, to accommodate more. It will know this is just going on at this time in this location. And quite often, it's quite, as many as you report, quite physically felt, down in the midriff, in the stomach or whatever, unpleasant uh, feelings they're emitting out of the organism, out of the emotional uh, life. Can we just find enough space around it? Just enough. So that we say, yes, with confidence, I can live with this feeling. Yes, I can stay with this feeling. Yes, I'm not afraid of this feeling. Yes, I'm acknowledging it there. I'm not withdrawing from it. Yes, I'm very careful to see what I describe it as. And does that mean just a quiet description? Or is my, the very words that I use actually adding more weight to it? Yes, I can feel the changes which are going on with it. Yes, I can notice it's stronger and it's weaker and it's gross and it's subtle, etc. Yes, I can see and I can hear and I can smell and I can touch and I can walk and I can breathe. 
in spite of. And that willingness is a statement of what freedom of the heart is about. Even in spite of some of those uh, difficult feelings that go on inside through all the circumstances of life, known or unknown. Sometimes um, um, we would love a, uh, uh, a, a nice, quick uh, resolution and solution to all of these, all, all of these things. And so sometimes people think, oh, if there's only something that the scientists could come up with, which one could just uh, drop once, and then there would be um, permanent ecstasy, rather than the, the short-lived ones that we hear go on in the discos. Uh, and if only there was uh, something which would be, not cause any side effects, not cause any problem would be immediately uh, uh, effective, etc. And only today, what's the quote, Martin, of this uh, wonder pill that we were reading about in California? What, what? Yeah, and what was the name of the pill? Microhydrin. So here's a new one for you. Micro who? Microhydrin. And what, what was the, the, uh, the promise? The, uh, I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> hey, we should be getting on the web or something and, and ordering our box of microhydrogen or, or at least giving them out at the beginning of retreat. <laughs> since, the, since enthusiasm is not high on the agenda on the first day. <laughs> I did for some of you, etc. So sometimes we think, oh, there's these issues and things, issues of life going on wouldn't it be wonderful if? And the, and the lovely uh, and the important thing is about spiritual life and discovery and freedom of the heart, which is to accommodate all of the mind, all the feelings of the inner uh, life, that sometimes, and as history has reported and continues to do over the years, that there can be sudden transformation sudden turnaround of consciousness and a change which one hardly knows how or where or why or whatever and it doesn't seem to have any kind of connection with any kind of gradual process of development. Sometimes people's lives in ways which are mysterious uh, way because there's an impact there's something arising and problems which are problems have gone and there's a real new fresh discovery and therefore there's a, a significant sudden turning point in one's life and one knows it, one can recall it one can remember the time, place, location or whatever and that kind of turnaround and that can come in the nature, it can come in meditation it can come in listening, it can come in reading, it can come, in, come spontaneously in any place uh, uh, on this earth and there's enough uh, reports of this of this sudden change that takes place and 
sometimes some uh, and some of you too may have had the wish may, may, may still do and why not of sometimes wanting to meet a, a person quote unquote here enlightened master and in that uh, 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 contact that there might be something really big happen big with a big B <laughs> B like Buddhahood you know that kind of big B and sometimes we hear of uh, teachers and uh, 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 there and read, read um, uh, 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 accounts, contemporary teachers, the uh, ancient uh, teachers or whatever, of, of, of that through something that was said or through laying the hands on the head or uh, eye contact or some uh, uh, inquiry or whatever. And all of that impact can make shifts significantly, dramatically in the moment. And I, a friend of mine, in front of some of yours here, uh, Nadamo from uh, Germany, who's uh, been a, a regular and a, a delightful uh, pilgrim to and from India uh, over many years, uh, sent me from uh, Dharamsala a, a, a piece. And I just thought I'd give a little uh, uh, comment on this. <coughs> And it's from um, the autobiography of uh, Papaji. Now, uh, Papaji, that's um, Punjaji for many of us, who was a <coughs> much loved and revered uh, teacher in uh, Lucknow in North uh, uh, India, and one of um, the least favourite cities, we might say, of uh, of, uh, of India, but um, <coughs> so many friends went to spend, went to uh, see Punja or Papaji, and a number of them, and some good friends of mine, Shada, who's been teaching with me for lifetimes, and uh, uh, Leela, but they've both got their names there. Um, important and insightful, and much was uh, realised through an interaction with uh, Punjaji. And then um, uh, David uh, Godman, what a lovely surname for a spiritual person, Godman, (laughs) Um, uh, had an interview with um, uh, uh, Punjaji. He wrote this three volumes on Punjaji's life. And I just want to, and Nidamo sent me this, I wanted to read uh, 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 to you. Um, Papaji says, there are limits to what a guru uh, can accomplish. These limits are not in the self. This is the capital S, a different language from here. Self here is hopeless. But um, in the uh, Advaita tradition, self means that which is supreme, which is definitely not hopeless. So, uh, so uh, I'll change it a little bit. There are... For <laughs> my benefit... Um, there are limits to what a guru can accomplish. The limits are not in the supreme, for the supreme is limitless. The power of the supreme cannot work on an unreceptive mind. If the soil is not fertile, no amount of rain pouring on the ground will make a crop grow. The rain cannot make crops grow in a barren land. 
Bernoulli is pointing out here, I think wisely and appropriately, that in our receptivity and the cultivation of that receptivity through interest and awareness and practice, etc., etc., that receptivity makes us accessible to that which is supreme. And the function in this case of the teacher, of the nature, or of a book, or whatever, anything can touch and awaken us. Anything. So then David says to him, you yourself have experimented with this power, the power to transform, to point to the supreme, and have found its limits. In one of the first conversations I had with you, you remarked, I quote, I used to force people to have experiences of the Supreme, but I don't do it anymore. You think, well, not very nice, but anyway. I said, that's David said, I said, why not? If you can see that someone is on the brink of getting it, it's big eye. If you can see that someone is on the brink of getting it, don't you want to give them a push? And then you reply, this is David recalling what Punjaji said, I used to think like that, this is Punjaji, Papaji, but not anymore. Oh, he learned. (laughs) (laughs) I have found that although I give people these experiences I couldn't make them stick he has the power all credit to him a a, a wonderful human uh, being to give people these experiences called of the supreme but he says I didn't have the power to make them stick, to stay When I stopped pushing, the mind just came back. So there's a capacity to blow the mind away, which is what Dharma teachings are all about. No freedom, which is limitless, and therefore embraces the mind, which is limited, which is finite. So now he says, I don't do it anymore. I've come to realize that if the mind is not free from all vasanas, I'll explain in a minute, it will only reassert itself later. Vasanas means tendencies, means habits, means patterns. It's a Buddhist word, it's a Vedanta, it's Hindu Vedanta word. So sometimes there can be powerful experiences which are really mind-opening. They may arise in contact with another human being, they may arise from nature, may arise spontaneously, many forms, just one expression. But how easily, in that awakening beyond the finite, which is beyond the mind, it passes, and then the tendency is back. And then one says, says, what happened to that profound opening that I had which really gave me a sense or a taste of that which is infinite, which is supreme, which doesn't know birth nor death, 
which is not limited, as Punjaji points out, and now it seems like that took place, and now once again I'm back in my tendencies, I've lost that sense of truth, of the real reality, which is infinite, which is immeasurable, and I'm back in my finite, pathetic, miserable, hopeless, useless self. Papaji says, I, 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 of course, that was last few sentences were definite embellishment on my part. <laughs> for, forgive me for my freestyle interpretation. Papaji says, yes, what you remembered, David, is true. I, uh, that I stopped pushing people because of the fastness coming back so much. He says, I used to force people uh, to have such experiences, but I don't do it anymore. I can give this direct experience to anyone for a short time, but it's not within my power to make the experience stay. One who has been granted this experience by the Guru has to guard it himself or herself to the end of their life. If one is not free from the vasanas, from the tendencies, unhealthy tendencies, of course, then one is pushed and is pushed into having these experiences, that those experiences will not stay. The force of the mind will be, will be back. The mind of such a person will eventually come back, he concludes, with all of its former force. All of its former force, he says. And I think the outcome of that, this is in, uh, Papaji speaking in the last years of his life, and... Uh, 50 years a teacher of uh, uh, touching freedom of the heart, of the immeasurable, that that, one of his, in a way, concluding perceptions, I would say, because I know this was in the last two or three uh, years of, uh, of uh, his life, is just a reminder to uh, each and uh, every person that on the one aspect and feature, there is the importance of working with the mind, working with those tendencies, developing and cultivating uh, the, that receptivity to take the power out of them and the authority out of them. So in that and, and the general background to what Punjaji is speaking about and what we as Dharma teachers here regularly, you uh, may know from your experience or from experience of others, is that it's not unusual for people to have important and profound experiences, genuinely feel a sense of the essence of what the Dharma is about, only to find that the tendencies come back, and this was what was happening for Punjaji. And so people would come to Lucknow, go away, go to the West, travel further in India or whatever, then the tendencies would be arising and Punja would have said to the students when they're having these deep experiences with his uh, encouragement, etc. Oh, that's it. That's what's being pointed to. That's what's being pointed to. That's it. Once you've discovered that, it will never leave you. Only to find, as time went by, it was, it felt like for people, it was leaving them. And then the person had no method no meditation, no practices, no ways of working on the vasanas, the tendencies, or whatever, 
And there's sometimes, some people, and I'm talking about people I've spoken with, it's not second-hand information, this, that sometimes people said, my goodness, I had these experiences, and now it makes these tendencies even, feels like, even worse, because I've had a taste of something different. And sometimes some men and women dedicated to the Dharma of liberation and practice have had to go and still go through, in fact, some of those difficulties there. In, in that, with, uh, and then and the, the, the other, which is slightly related, by what, I'm not sure. This was um, uh, an email I got from uh, pamarta at yahoo.com and there's a website called www surprise surprise um, dot sannyasnews.com so this is from Osho's good people it says since Osho's death sannyas this is a, a viewpoint some of you may view differently as, as I might since Osho's death, Sanyas has broken down into a spectre, spectrum of splinter groups. They are Sanyasins into therapy, Sanyasins into meditation, Sanyasins into Sanyas as a social scene. Well, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, there has been an increasing number of Sanyasins reporting they are awake or enlightened and that many satsangs throughout the world sannyasins often make up the majority of those present. This website attempts to bring all this back into a single focus and it includes space for the ashram in Pune and respect for the energies there and give people an opportunity to express their views and uh, gossip etc 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 point I'm coming to once again, same point, that, as the person uh, says, sometimes in exposure to uh, teachings and to satsangs, satsangs means, generally speaking, means uh, men and women coming uh, uh, together for uh, teachings, word used in Hindu tradition rather than in the, the Buddhist uh, tradition, and there is, as that says, an increasing number of uh, people who say they are enlightened and who are giving a, a satsang and some of them have come out of the punja stable and some of them, don't mind the metaphor, and some of them have come out of the Osho stable and are uh, in various parts of the world, and that's, I would, from what I hear, maybe 15, 20, 30 or, 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 or more. And invaluable and important thing uh, with that is sometimes people do have genuinely have deep and important experiences and I think that's important to be recognised. But, coming back to the earlier point with, uh, with ourselves, one also needs, as well, I, I would say, dharma of teachings and practices so that we're not just relying and depending on having one particular experience and regarding in some way or other that as it, if we don't have the freedom of the heart, and this is the important point of this talk, to continue to explore. 
Sometimes people have important experiences, deep, profound, spiritual uh, uh, experiences, and the mind can then move in and say, I've got it. And when the mind moves in and says, I got it, it can easily get stuck with what it's got. And out of it can come a whole belief system, a whole ideology, a whole position, a whole standpoint, etc. Freedom of the heart includes in it the freedom to explore. It's the freedom to realize, the freedom to be with truly with the way things uh, are. It includes the freedom to know ways and means to work on the vasanas, to work on the tendencies. So there's the development towards finding great freedom in life, to knowing great freedom in life, and there's a way of being in life which is free to explore. And it would be a pity for any of us to say, oh, to go to a satsang as an example, or to come to Guy House or whatever and say, oh, I've got it, and that's it, and then the outcome of that is that the mind begins to get stuck. And gradually the vastness will come back in and the suffering will come back in and one will wonder, what happened to that joy and that freedom and that sense of liberation which I knew at that time? Sometimes in uh, everyday life, secular life, uh, it isn't uh, easy and as plenty of you here in the hall uh, know, the transition from India, from spiritual practices, or whatever it might be, to uh, uh, everyday life uh, isn't easier. And for some, and I think for some of us, who were uh, in the monastery, that it, was, it, it was a little easier. A little easier because we had the opportunity, 365 days a year, to engage in uh, practices, there to have a range of experiences through the, through the practices and things to kind of, a certain kind of seasoning that can take place there. In uh, Western society and, and culture, still interested in liberation, still interested in finding and feeling life is essentially awake and conscious and bright and free and seeing can that meet comfortably with all that comes to our eyes and our ears called Western life. It's an incredible challenge. But it's a challenge, I think, which is uh, vitally important it's that you and I uh, live as clearly and as well as we can a, a truly uh, awake uh, life and uh, through that offer something much deeper than what our own society can offer us. May all beings live with freedom of the heart. May all beings see into the field of experiences. May all beings know that which is beyond the finite. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.